Please turn the scripture to uh, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Paul is drawing to a close in his letter. He's winding down. And he gives here in the passage we'll be looking at, it's uh, verses uh, 2, or uh, I'm sorry, verses 4 through 9. He gives what appears to be uh, a list of final instructions, and it's almost like a bullet list. It's the kind of uh, instructions that a parent might give to a child as they drop them off at summer camp, right? Okay, now make sure you brush your teeth. And boy, take a shower. Make sure you take a shower. And uh, if you need anything, you call us. Uh, Listen to the authority that's around you, the the adults. Listen to them. Pay attention to them. It's a bullet list of things, and then you say goodbye and go. In a sense, that's what, what it seems like Paul is doing here at the end of Um, the end of uh, Philippians here in chapter 4. But Paul's final instructions do have common threads that go through them uh, and tie them together. He's providing help for the Philippians um, as they deal with the problems of, remember, they have all these external pressures. They are suffering as a result of these external pressures, persecution, uh, there are trials, there, is, there are temptations, um, and we've seen some of that. Uh, but they also have problems inside the church, right, in the way that they relate to one another. And so there's this uh, self-centered, self-importance is producing these rivalries and these conflicts within the congregation. And so all this, all this pressure and stress is, is creating havoc within the body, and he's providing help for them. He gives instructions here at the close of this book uh, about their future or about what God intends to do with and through them to help them face and deal with the anxieties that these stressors are producing within them. And these, these things, if they follow Paul's instructions, will promote joy and peace. You know, everyone is looking to be happy. You hear it all the time. I just want to be happy. People are also looking for peace, aren't they? If I could only find some peace. These are the things that Paul addresses here. There are plenty of reasons to worry. Paul presents and exhorts that we have a change in mindset that's based on the reality of the living God being present in our lives. And so with that, I want you to follow along then. Please open in scriptures there to... Philippians chapter 4. Follow along as I read, and we'll be referring to this quite a bit, so have it open before you. There are a few Bibles uh, in front of you or there in the, in the chairs uh, nearby. Beginning in verse 4, I'll read to verse 9. I want to remind you, this is the very Word of God. This is true. It is God's living Word to us. So hear what it says, what God through it says to us. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, 
whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Would you pray with me? Father, we come... um, acknowledging our dependence upon your spirit to make your word come to life within us. We pray that you would meet each of us where we are, Lord, as we've mentioned already and as is true in any room, there are a variety of needs. There are a variety of perspectives. There are a variety of experiences, even in the past 24 hours, that we are coming to this service from. And we would pray that you would speak to us at those particular places of need. That you would enable us to hear, Lord, if we are distracted, capture our attention. If we're distracted by pain, capture our attention. If we are distracted, Lord, by the troubles of this life, would you capture our attention? And would you speak to us, we pray. If we are distracted by good things happening in our lives, capture our attention that we would hear what you say to us, that we might apply your word to our lives, that we might change in accordance with your will, that we might be reminded of all that you have done and all that you do, our utter dependence upon you. Make all these things known to us, Father, that we might be changed as we leave this place. We ask your grace to this end. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. The Lancet, uh, a publication, published a study uh, back in October of 2021 uh, by dozens of researchers who looked at um, several countries, uh, 204 countries and territories, and they were looking at the prevalence and the burden of depressive and anxiety disorders, uh, particularly during the year 2020. And you know what happened in 2020. And so as a result of the pandemic, they were curious of how that affected mental health in relationship to anxiety and depression uh, when the COVID pandemic was at its worst. Uh, The prevalence of anxiety disorders they found to be up 25.6%. And the amount of the prevalence of depressive disorders were up 27%. And what was interesting in the study, there were several things, but one of the things that's interesting is that Younger people, the prevalence of anxiety and depression for them was higher than the anxiety and depressions that older folks experienced. And so the range from 20 to 39-year-olds had the highest rates of depression and anxiety. And this is really not a surprise to me, may not be a surprise to you, because before the pandemic, before COVID, There just seemed to be more experience with anxiety and depression among folks. Um, And so it's on the rise, as we well know, as some of you know, by your own experience. And there are all kinds of reasons for anxiety. And so to qualify some of these reasons, there are chemical reasons for depression and for anxiety. There are mental health issues that medicine can help. And so that creates anxiety or because of those deficiencies within the brain and 
so forth, the chemical disorders. And so anxiety is a result of that at times. That is true. And if that is true of you, you need to get help. And you need to talk to your doctor about these things. And there is help, perhaps, for you. But that's not the only source of your anxiety, even, as you probably well know. Uh, There is actually good anxiety. There's good reasons to be anxious. For for instance, it's it's good to worry a bit about your little children when they're outside playing and the road's there. You need to be a little bit anxious and watching. You know, it kind of it kind of creates this need to watch for the safety of our children because they could easily just run to the road. And we've heard stories, and you've experienced that yourself as parents, where your child has disappeared and you are anxious because you don't know where they're at, and uh, and so you're, you've got to watch them. And that's good anxiety. Uh, anxiety keeps us from going too close to the edge of the cliff. That's a good thing. Uh, It's good to be anxious around dangerous animals because it prompts this sort of take care or run sort of perspective. That's a good thing. But what is Paul talking about in verse 6 when he says, uh, don't be anxious? Don't be anxious. Well, he, like Jesus, remember in Matthew 6 that was read earlier uh, this morning under the reading of the law, Referring, is referring to the everyday worries that we have that arise out of fears and doubts, particularly about our future. The, the fears and the doubts that arise as though God is not present and does not lovingly provide for us all that we need for the future. This is the kind of anxiety that Paul is addressing here. It's the stress of worry that's driven by the question, what if? What if I don't have enough money? What if my car breaks down? What if my child makes wrong choices? What if my child misbehaves? What if my child makes me look like a bad parent? What if I don't find a spouse? What if I don't find the right job? What if people won't like me? What if I make a mistake? All kinds of what ifs. So let me ask you the question, what makes you anxious? What makes you anxious? Uh, Maybe another way of getting at this is, what provokes you to anger? What makes you angry? What makes you despondent? What drives you to despair or depression? What is it that you fret about and you worry about? And that record just keeps playing. It's like caught on the skip. And it just keeps playing in your head. What is it that produces that in you? These are the kinds of things I believe Paul is speaking of when he is talking about being anxious. And in this passage, he gives us some help, some much-needed help. In fact, it's the only place to really find the kind of help we need for the kind of anxiety that he's talking about here. 
There are three things we'll look at. He reminds us first that the Lord is present in our lives. That's a big help. And because the Lord is present in our lives, the second thing is that we need to, we need to change our thinking. We need to change our mindset. And finally, because the Lord is present, we must follow Jesus. So let's begin with, because the Lord is present in your life, change your mind. Change your mindset. Uh, Paul reminds us that the Lord is present in our lives. So I want you to see this in this passage. There's a number of places where he makes this very clear. Look in verse 4 and look at the phrase, in the Lord. And then drop down to verse 7 and you'll see the phrase, in Christ Jesus. When you see the word in Christ, it's a code. It's a code that speaks about our union with Jesus. It speaks about the fact that by faith we are connected to Christ. That we are in a relationship of union, of communion with the living God through Christ Jesus. That everything that Christ is and everything that Christ has done is ours, belongs to us, as we then belong to Him. So this, it's code language, if you will, for this union with Christ. That we are in relationship with Christ. And that union is, I guess you might say, um, um, sealed by, it's solidified by, it's a reality in our lives through His indwelling Spirit. Right? His Spirit dwells within us. He is with us. He is with us. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. It's a reference to two things, I believe. And one of those things is, it's a reminder of His closeness to us. He is near at hand. He is near. He is close by. He is with us by His indwelling Spirit. We are not alone. But it's also a reference to His coming again. He is at hand. He is coming. And this is in the context of 3, 20 and 21 where it says we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus. He will come, and He is coming. We are waiting for Him to come again. And when He comes again, everything that's broken, everything about you that is broken, everything that is broken around you that causes you stress and anxiety, it will all be repaired renewed, fixed when He returns. And so He is at hand in both of those senses of being nearby. He is with us, but He is coming again. So He is with us. Verse 6, we get there the notion that God hears our prayers. Meaning you can come to Him and talk to Him at any time, about anything that you are dealing with. He is the God of the universe. He has unlimited, unstoppable power. 
He knows everything. He is the creator of and the very definer of wisdom. And you know what? (laughs) He loves to hear you come to Him and talk to Him. This great God loves to hear from you. He loves to hear your thankful petitions, your thankful requests. He is a good, good Father to His children and He welcomes and enjoys their request because it shows it shows how much they rely upon Him. I love it when my grown adult children reach out to me and they want to tell me about their troubles. They're struggling with something and they'll give me a call out of the blue and say, Dad, can we talk? <laughs> you don't know what that does for a father, do you? Unless you're a father. You think God is like you again? Seriously? Didn't we have the same discussion last week? Last year? Ten years ago? Aren't you ever going to grow up and get past this? Is this the way a father thinks about his children when he loves them and he wants what's best for them and they come to him? Because they have a sense that he can help. It is a beautiful, glorious thing. And I love it because it demonstrates that they not only need me, but they know that that I love them and they know that I can try to help and that I will. I'll bend over backwards to do the kinds of things that they would need to be done. Likewise, the Lord is not distant. You can talk to Him anytime. He is with you. He is present with you. In verse 7, note there, it speaks of His peace being present to you. His peace, in fact, it guards your heart. This phrase, guard your heart, it is is a word that is used for soldiers who stand guard duty. The peace of God is like a garrison of vigilant soldiers standing guard around your inner being, around your thinking, around your affections, around your will, your heart. His peace overshadows you and protects you against all the chaos and the trouble that's out there that keeps bothering you. (laughs) All the stuff that messes with you, His peace will guard against all that stuff. Because He's your good Father and He protects you. Anything that would cause you anxiety or despair, His peace is a shield against it. But even more impressive than just His peace being present in your life is verse 9 where it says the actual God of this peace. (laughs) The actual God of this peace is with you. It says it right there. So God is with you. Um, 
just to help you think about this a little bit, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, uh, me and my sons went to um, Idaho to meet with my dad. And so we flew out to Boise, and my dad drove up in his pickup truck and his camper, drove up from Colorado and met us at Boise, picked us up from the airport. And uh, we spent about 10 days with him out there, just kind of traveling around. Whenever I'm with my dad, it's an interesting thing. And uh, my dad's a good dad. I understand not everybody has good dads. Not everybody has a dad right now. Um, But my dad's a good dad. And so whenever I'm with my dad, I kind of relax. I'm not in charge. And not because he takes charge, but I can relax. I don't have any responsibilities. He did the planning for this trip. He drove the pickup with the camper, which terrified me to think about doing. I, you know, you know, just uh, I was, I didn't have to think about anything. I wasn't responsible. If I was responsible for anything, if I did, you know, I've never, I've never camped in a camper, so I don't know anything about camper camping. But, you know, you got to hook up to the sewage and you got various things, hook up to the electric and various things to raise it up and all that stuff. And so if I tried to do any of that stuff, I could just try to do it. And if I didn't know how to do it, I could just ask. He was there. <laughs> Dad, I'm not sure what I'm doing here. He goes, you do this. Thanks, Dad. But he was with me. And I could ask him. And that's a picture, I think, that God is no less present in our lives. In fact, He knows you better than your dad does. He is nearer to you than your dad is, even if your dad's sitting beside you right now. Dad, I'm sorry, but He loves you better than your dad does. He is much wiser, sorry, than your dad is. And he has greater resources, more power, more ability. And he's right there with you. He's right there with you. You are not living life alone. It may feel alone oftentimes. You are not alone. You are not without this good, good Father. He is with you. He is present. Because He is present then, let's look at the second thing. Because He's present, we need to change our thinking. We need to change our thinking. We need to change our mindset. Change your mind. Look at verse 4. First thing we need to do is change our mind about our circumstances. Change our minds about our circumstances. (laughs) Can you imagine that in spite of your circumstances right now, that you can rejoice? That requires a a mindset change to be able to do that. Rejoice. 
in the Lord. Always, always. Rejoice means to be glad, to be in a state of happiness or well-being. I just want to be happy. The problem with that desire is that we typically think that it is our circumstances that make us happy or not. And so if my circumstances, if I'm not happy, if my circumstances would change, then I would be happy. Perhaps if I had more money, perhaps if I had a better car, perhaps if I had a nicer house, perhaps if I had a better husband or wife, perhaps if I changed my gender, maybe if I got better friends, a different job, if only my health improved, then I could and would be happy. What is so sad about changing one's gender is that it does not solve the fundamental problem. And so any of our circumstances can change, but we find ourselves still as miserable as we were before. That's not the answer. At most, temporary. Dan, you know that new truck is, is just not, it's, you know, a month from now, it's just not going to make you as happy as it does now. Right? I mean, it, that's, you know that. That's true. Those things are so temporary. So Paul calls us here to change our minds, to not be focused on circumstances, but rather to deeply root our joy in the Lord, he says, rather than in pleasant and abundant circumstances. So Paul likely had in view a passage from Habakkuk. Habakkuk was one of the minor prophets, three, three chapters, small book, but he spends two and a half chapters of that book lamenting and complaining about the horrible circumstances of an invading army, an invading and conquering army that comes into Israel and decimates and destroys the countryside. Destroys the crops, kills or steals all the livestock, many people are slain. And yet he ends his lament with these words in chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, <laughs> Can you imagine a worse set of circumstances for people who were dependent upon these things for food? Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. For God the Lord is my strength. 
He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. This is the power of the presence of God in the lives of those who know Him and are known by Him, that regardless of the circumstances, regardless of how dire they are, regardless of what has happened to you, regardless of how bad it is, such people who know that God is present rejoice in the Lord. They rejoice in His promised salvation. They know that He is with them and they know that He will continue as He has done before to lovingly provide for them every step of this hard way. So because God is in your life, you have to change your thinking. That's to change your mind about your circumstances. We also need to change our minds about having our own way. <clears throat> this is found in verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Reasonableness can also be translated gentleness. And this word has a specific it's, it's, specific, it's describing a specific response. It's describing a response to being treated unfairly or being treated unjustly. And it's the kind of response that one does rather than the natural response of when I'm treated unfairly or unjustly, defending myself, getting vengeance, responding, in like, malice, and hatred. So instead of responding in vengeful or even defensive ways to attacks or to opposition, let your gentleness, your reasonableness, your kindness, your humble patience, and the word even has this idea of not insisting upon your own rights. How many arguments do you get in with someone on the basis of, you can't treat me that way. You have no right to treat me that way. And that's, that's you know, husband, wife, that's anybody. That's when the culture comes against the church. I'm an American. Right? We have freedom to worship however we want. You can't do that. It's not the response of gentleness and reasonableness. Not to say we don't stand up for religious freedom, but <laughs> you see the difference? <laughs> reasonableness, gentleness. It's a yielding, it's a forbearing to and with the other. And this is such a significant change in our natural mindset, isn't it? This is a change of mind. It's a change of mindset. And Paul, of course, is challenging the source of the internal conflicts of the church at Philippi. There are personal agendas. There are self-interest creating conflicts and rivalries within the church at Philippi that he's putting his finger on here. No, no, no. 
Don't let that be what describes you. Don't let that be your reputation. Let your reputation be that of gentleness, reasonableness, forbearance. It's the mindset of Christ Jesus that he described in chapter 2 and verse 5 that we are to have ourselves where Jesus did not demand his rights as the Son of God. I am the Son of God, worship me. No, 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 what did he do? He came and he humbled himself, went below us to become our servant. That's the kind of mindset. (laughs) Do you have the mindset of a servant? Do you have the mindset of a Lord? an honest question, a good one to ask. Verse 5, the Lord is at hand. See, not only is he near, but his presence is here and now, but Christ Jesus will soon return. And so the question that, that Paul is posing here is, are your rights and is your way really all that vital in light of the Lord's return when He is the one who will fix all that is broken in you, in others, and even around you. That you think you've got the idea of how to fix it, how to do it. The Lord is to return soon. gives you perspective. And you realize then that He's going to do all of this without my help. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need my way. Another thing we need to change our mind about is we need to change our mind about the things that do worry us, the things that do create anxiety. This is in verse 6. Recall Habakkuk where he spends two and a half chapters complaining to God and lamenting about the destructive circumstances that he and the people of Israel were dealing with. So Paul is not here, he's not suggesting some Pollyannish, positive-only mentality that just, you know, is blind to the hard circumstances. This is not a call to stoicism. This is not a call to suck it up, buttercup. It's just the way it is. Life is hard. It's not what Paul is saying here. Don't say that. Don't say that to people. There's a place for lament. There's a place for complaining. There's a place for it is hard. This is difficult. But what Paul is saying here is that rather than worry and fret and allow these things to control you, And to become controlled by them, anxiety, and so forth. What does he say? Pray. Don't let anything worry you. Pray about everything. Bring your request to the Lord. Make these things known to Him. You understand what Habakkuk was doing? Who was he complaining to? Who was he pouring out his lament to? As he did so, he was able to say at the end of the chapter, at the end of the book, though 
all of it go away. Though everything that I care about is taken away from me, stripped away from me, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. How does he get there? He's made his request known to the living God. I believe probably the peace that passes all understanding. Guard his heart. There's one qualification in bringing your request known or to, to make your request known to him, which is interesting, isn't it? That the God who knows everything wants you to make known to him the things that you are concerned about. <laughs> is he lacking the information? This isn't psychology, but it is psychological. You know how much better you feel when you tell somebody about it. My wife will come and she will tell me about her day and about how bad it was. And I'm learn, learning, learned. She doesn't do that in order for me to say, well, honey, let me give you some advice. Here's, here's what you can do so you don't ever have to go through that anymore. She doesn't need that from me. She just needs to say it. And you know, oftentimes when we say things out loud, we work some stuff out. We get some perspective. That's not everything that prayer is doing yet. But God doesn't need, He doesn't need you to tell Him because He doesn't know. He wants you to know what's bothering you. And he wants you to know. I know. And I'm with you. One qualification is thankfulness. Add thankfulness to your request. You see that there, right? Make your request known. Prayer and supplication along with thanksgiving. Think about that for a moment. What does thanksgiving do? What does thanksgiving do for you? What does it require you to do? It requires you to think about the things that God has done. You're bringing up the things that He has done. And that fills you with uh, hope for the future and for the request that you're bringing to Him now. This thanksgiving giving, if you have anxiety and you need therapy, go to therapy. But I will tell you this, thanksgiving is therapeutic because it reminds you of who God is and what He's done. And you know you have a good Father that you are bringing these things to and He is with you and He will answer according to His will and His purposes. It's very simple. And I bear witness that because God is present in your life, you can replace worry with prayer. I'm not perfect in doing that, but I will tell you that as I was anxious a few years ago and I was worried about a particular thing, 
And it just kept me up at night for years. I came across this passage, and it was it, it, it's not like I didn't know this passage was there. I was like, I don't pray about this. I, I do not pray about this. And when I consistently then and constantly made my request to God with reference to this particular thing that worried me and created anxiety in me, I could breathe. And I could realize that the sovereign God was not only aware, but this thing was His and not mine to bear. And I was able to worry less about that particular thing. And the more consistently I talk about my anxious thoughts with my Heavenly Father, I worry and I fret less. I don't go without worry. My life has not changed. I don't have less things to worry about. But I bear witness to the truth of this passage. And Paul assures us that when we consistently talk to our Father, that His peace, His inexplicable, His incomprehensible peace, will stand guard and protect us from all the chaos and trouble and uncertainty of the world around us. The thing I'm praying about has not changed. It has not gone away. God hasn't reversed the situation or the circumstances. But I don't worry about it as much as I did. And it doesn't create the anxiety. But I still pray. I still pray. Consistently and constantly. But there is a peace that I cannot explain. Talking to God, bringing to Him our request with thanksgiving is like tapping into a maple tree, but rather than getting served through the tap, we are covered by the peace of God, which defies and goes beyond our understanding. Prayer is like tapping into the peace of God. Another thing we need to change our mind about is that we need to, we need to focus upon Christian characteristics because God is present with us. This is verse 8. These words here, they're beautiful words. They are holistic words, if you will. That which is true, whatever's true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just or righteous, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's any excellence at all, there it's speaking of moral excellence. If there's anything worthy of praise, fix your mind on these things. Focus upon these things. I know it's hard. It is hard for me. But we can control our thinking. Evidence of this is in the Psalms. David is telling himself what to think. He is reminding himself of what is true. He is listening to the voice of God through his scripture as opposed to the voice that's rising up in his heart because of all this stuff that's coming in. And all the stuff that's coming in creates anxiety and it creates worry and it begins to creep in as doubts and as lies and I don't know if God's really good. I'm not sure He loves me. I'm not sure He's going to take care of me. We have to 
push that out. Let this come in. What God says. So what is verse true? We work at it. But you can do so because God is present. He's there. He's not, he's not out there. He's not distant from you. He's right beside you. So it, this implies that we meditate upon these things, these good things. We look for these things. We fix our minds on these virtues, on these characteristics. And it also implies, of course, that we guard what comes into our thinking, right? Those lies and those doubts. We guard what we watch. We guard what we read. We guard what and whom we listen to. We ought to be discerning as to the as we wander into the world, the world of YouTube videos, the world of social media. Paul is not saying, I am not saying, avoid these things, but we must be discerning and fix and focus our minds on that which builds up, that which conforms to this list of virtues. And there is a lot out there that doesn't. Because God is present in our lives, we are to change our minds, change our thinking, and we are to follow Jesus. And so the third thing, Paul tells us that we must follow Jesus, and I find this in verse 9. We must follow Jesus, and he calls us to do this by following him. The things we've learned from him, we've gained in knowledge from him of, of the word of God as he has taught us, the things we have received from his teaching, from his preaching, from uh, observing his life, the things we have heard from him because of the things that he has said or the way we have seen him relate to others, the things we saw in him, the things that he did. Uh, he's telling the Philippians here, follow these things, practice these things. This is a reminder of chapter 3 and verse 17 where he calls them to imitate him. Follow what he says, as he indicated there. Uh, he also said there that God provides in his church those who set similar examples within the church as they follow Jesus. Follow them according to their example. This is God's grace to us. And through these examples, their teaching, their lives, we fix our focus upon Jesus. So because God is present in our lives, Change your mind. Change your mind about your circumstances. Rejoice with that rejoicing and that joy deeply rooted in the Lord. And so rejoice in spite of those circumstances. Change your mind about having to have your own way, but rather be gentle and patient with those that are opposed to your way or in opposition to you. Change your mind about the things that worry you. Pray instead. Change your mind about what you think about. Focus upon these Christian Christ-like characteristics and virtues. And then follow Jesus looking to the examples that are around you. A final reminder. Anxiety is not cured by what you do. So I've told you what, you, what, what he's calling us to do here, but realize 
that it is not based on what you do, but it is based upon what God has already done. How are we in Christ? We are in Christ because He has drawn us into union with Christ. We are connected to Jesus because of the work of God. We are connected to the work of Jesus because Jesus worked. He is present and He is coming. So He is near. He is coming, and we saw at the end of chapter 3, He's coming and He's going to complete this salvation that He has already begun in us. Chapter 1 and verse 6, but in verse 21, He is going to transform us completely. So He will complete that, that salvation. He graciously invites you and graciously hears your prayers and comes alongside you in them in your concerns. He gives you His peace. He gave you that peace initially when He reconciled you to Himself through Jesus, Romans 5, 1. But it is that peace that continues to work. It is His peace that He gives to you. And that very God of peace promises to never leave you, to never forsake you. He is forever committed to His children. So, let's say two things. One, to an unbeliever. You are an unbeliever. Christ is not present. God is not present in your life. You do not have this. But you can have this. You have this by trusting in Christ. By seeing your sin. Confessing your sins. Trusting in Jesus as your Savior. God's provision for your salvation. And He comes and He makes His home in you. He is present with you. You have no guard against the chaos and the troubles of this world. And whatever you do to change your circumstances and to make yourself happy and to find peace, you will find out or you already know there is only one way and it's not the way you're going. So to unbelievers, I say trust in Christ. To believers, I encourage you to remember, to be reminded that the Lord is with you. And because He's with you then, change the way you think about your circumstances, about your situation. Change the way you think. And then follow Jesus. I want to tell you about a family that we know in, in Texas. Uh, we've known them for 25 years. They, um, <laughs> they have five children. Uh, they're about 10 years older than Sherry and I. And uh, all their kids are grown, of course. And um, young parents love to hear these kinds of things as they complain about you know not being able to sleep because they have young children at home, and we and we did that with with this couple and and she told us she says <laughs> I, I know it's hard, but wait till they wait till they get older and they're not in your house anymore, and then you stay up for other reasons. And it's true. And this, and this particular couple, you just could not imagine the things that they have gone through in their life. All their kids. Their kids have mental health issues. Three out of the five. Uh, they're all married. Or they were. One, one, so the, one was married, um, and she has mental health issues to the degree that uh, she had sometimes become suicidal. Her husband decided to leave her. 
with and the three children. He's trying to get custody of the three children because he doesn't believe they're safe. She lives with them now with her three children. Um, another one, their their child has a brain uh, disorder that uh, that keeps keeps her developmentally um, very immature. She's about twelve, acts like she's about five. Um, very serious health issues there too. They're not not sure she's going to make it. Um, another another daughter married a, an abusive guy who um, she left finally moved back in because of course against against their advice and they, she moved back in with them and with with her son and they live with with this couple. Um, it, she had a mom who was manipulative. Um, and not a, not a believer, and she dealt with that for years. Uh, this this lady, um, one of their children went off the deep end, uh, moved to California, left the faith. Um, they still go see him. Uh, the final child has some mental health issues. Every one of those kids are artists. They're creative. I'm so sorry for creative people. No, seriously, I am. Because they, they can kind of see, they can kind of see what the rest of us don't see. That's hard for them. It's hard for them because they see reality in ways that I don't see reality. And so all those kids struggle, and they struggle. And every time we get with them, I mean, you know, 10 years we, we go without seeing them, we come back, and, and it's just you cannot believe all the things that have happened since the last time we talked to them. And yet I will tell you, <laughs> I love being with those people because they know that God is with them. And it just comes through. It comes through. They know how to rejoice in spite of all of this chaos that's happening in their world. They lovingly serve us. They've come and... and the woman is a, is a magician with flowers. She comes and has decorated all of our girls' weddings. And it's, she's there for us. And the man, he will out of the blue send me a text with a prayer that he's praying for me. And it's not, it's not you know, I hope you have a good day. It's the kind of prayer that Paul prays for his people. It's like, I want you, Mike, to grow in grace and know Christ have spiritual insight and understanding. They know that Jesus is near. I love being around people like that. Because, ah, oh, I grow in faith. They're an example that I, I long to follow. Um, but I, I say that to say, they know the Lord is near and their mindset is such that reflects that. It's beautiful. And they don't have a lot of the circumstantial things to make them that way. It's true. It's real. God is that good to His people even though the circumstances are awful. Same is true for all of us. Let's pray.
Gracious God, we do come asking for your grace to us to, to understand your grace, to understand your goodness, to understand your presence, to understand all that you give us as resources in order to, to stand as, as we are called and exhorted to stand here. To think the way we ought to think, to understand the world the way we ought to understand the world because it is your world and you are sovereign over it, but you are with us in the midst of it and all the stuff we deal with, you are right there. And the resources of your peace and the resources of your care and concern and being with us in the midst of it, Lord, help us to see and live out of these truths and these realities. Not so we'll be a happy-go-lucky kind of people, but a people who in the midst of great suffering and difficult circumstances know the living God and we rejoice in you. We pray your grace upon us that we might know this and live out of this and all the more exalt and love and stand in amazement of all that you are for us and to us in your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.